grave danger? Is there another kind? You see, the useful idiots that the Soviet Union, that Lenin put into America, are now the useful idiots from the Chinese. U.S. President Joe Biden, who has had another week of gaffes, confused moments. Uh, uh, They're coming down on America like Pac-Man, eating us up alive. Uh, uh, They're acting more as propagandists. Also, the science has changed. You know the Pac-Man game? Think of a Pac-Man game out of control. Sucking away at the foundation of America. If Russia pursues its aggression, it will face the massive consequences that... Because if they don't want you to believe something and they can cast doubt... We have no intention of fighting Russia. Sometimes confusion can actually be the goal. The goal. The goal. And as we've said all along... Confusion can actually be the goal. Well, I know I'm confused. How are you? Good to have you here. It's good to be back. I hope you had a nice weekend as we roll into another week of unexpected pleasure at watching the uh, left squirm and the right try to push their uh, agenda of uh, holding Biden accountable for the amount of money he wants to spend. You know, the media never covers why McCarthy and the Republicans want to not give. You know, we've got a $1.7 trillion budget package that uh, Biden Slipping through, a lot of it is, is waste. A lot of it is just silly waste. Shut down this, fund that, all these little pet project programs that end up running into the hundreds of millions, even billions. And what do they do for the economy? That's not what the taxpayers want to pay for. We don't want to pay to subsidize solar panels for half the country or build more windmills or fund projects overseas that encourage uh, family planning which is code word for abortion. You know, so this is what the big story is. This is the big the big news. They got to pass this thing. Otherwise, the America will default and our credit will look bad like, you know, like it doesn't already look bad. But um, I, I've seen this, this act so many times in my life that I, I, you know that the eventuality is they will come to terms. They'll negotiate. You know, Joe Biden will give up something. But he'll use it as the Demo- as the Republicans use it. He uses it for political gain. You know, when he says things like the Repug- Republicans want to uh, take away Social Security. Well, no, that's not it. It's the Republicans want fiscal financial re- responsibility, although not by much, really. Like I said, this sort of tit for tat has been going on with the, you know, getting the budget agreed upon in time so that the money keeps flowing. The Treasury still still funds the government so it can go and do its dirty deeds across the land in the form of helping people. But uh, that's the big news, and they'll come to something. Another big news is uh, DeSantis. The press is really going after him. Even our local news, they just, um, you know, they say things that are subtle. The way they write words, they, they make it clear that they don't like DeSantis. And frankly, I don't think anybody thinks he's going to win, but I think he's, I think he's, this is like maybe practice for him. I hope not. I think that's why he got that thing passed where he can still be the governor. He doesn't have to give up his governorship to run for president because if he loses, which statistically he will, then he can go back to being the governor. I'm not sitting too pretty with that, but you know, I don't think he would make a bad president either. I think he, I was thinking about it in the future, having the first lady, it kind of reminds me of a Republican version of the Kennedy years of 1962. And she's a nice lady. She seems like she's nice and hip. Former, I think her big claim to fame is she used to be a cheerleader. 
So, but she is an, every time she very, uh, openly supports her husband. She's in it to win it. And they got cute kids too. So anyway, uh, what else is going on in the world this week? There's some interesting articles. One thing that we're going to deal with, I think I mentioned this before because you're hearing a lot more of it. And what's happening right now in our country is I believe there is a, a mili- me- medical government pharma industrial complex. This is where you have the federal government, which is using drugs uh, and and mental health treatment uh, as a way of, sub- believe it or not, uh, of subduing the the population. And what I mean by that is that a lot more people are on medication now than there used to be. And it's grown exponentially. It's They hand it out like candy. And what ends up happening is you get a lifelong regimen of whatever it is you have to take for anxiety or whatever mental illness. The list of mental illness, illness keeps growing. Well, in uh, 1961, a gentleman, a psychiatrist actually, who ended up having long tenure at SUNY in Syracuse, Thomas Saz, or Saz, yeah. And back in 61, he wrote a book called, and it was a real trailblazer. It was called The Myth of Mental Health. I actually bought it and read it. And he talks a lot about uh, just the way people are. You learn a lot about how people are just in general and how they deal with tension and, and uncertainty and anxiety. But his major claim to fame is that he understands that there is mental illness there is anxiety, there is unhappiness, there are things that make life very difficult. But by the same token, it does not necessarily mean that the answer is always take a pill or go on some sort of medication. And his his position is that the doctors and big pharma, they see this as a real cash cow because who isn't at some time or another depressed or anxious? I mean, I think the average adult now you know, you're going to get depressed at least a couple of days a week just because, you know, we're human and we have feelings and we have emotions. But some people don't want to feel that way. And so Big Pharma comes to their aid and they do it with the sanctioning of the government and the medical industry because the medical industry is treating uh, something that is emotional or mental with something that is physical and biological, physiological. So they're altering the chemicals in your brains to induce a certain effect to reduce whatever it is, the pain, the suffering. It's no different than when you take an aspirin and you have a headache. You don't really have a headache. What you have is inflammation of your muscles or maybe you're dehydrated. But when you take an Advil or you take a Tylenol, you're not really reducing the, you might be reducing the swelling or uh, maybe stabilizing some blood flow in your neck. But the term headache refers to a physiological. Now, when you talk about anxiety, that's not a physiological event. There's, there's no blood. There's no, there's no chemical that's being released into your brain that's causing, it's actually quite contrary. You're feeling something. You're not feeling it because your brain is, is physically doing something. It's an emotional. And I'm not a psychiatrist, but this is basically what Thomas Saz says, S-Z-A-S-Z. Then in 2012, uh, the Dr. Saz then um, wrote an update. And, and I have a little clip of him talking about why he thinks mental illness is, uh, is, an, is a myth. So listen to him a little bit, and then uh, I'll, I'll comment on it afterwards. For thousands of years, people looked upon life 
It's a veil of tears, that's a Catholic expression. Mm -hmm. And you wait until you die and then you'll be happy in, in the afterlife. That was the whole idea throughout human history until the last 50 years in America. In Eastern Europe, I don't think people expect to be happy, like here. In Eastern Europe? Yeah. Eastern Europe's been under communism for... Right. They expect to be free. Quite a few years. Not, not happy. Right. See, freedom gives you the opportunity to be unhappy and not mm -hmm. to be molested for it. Mm -hmm. I look upon the mental health profession today as a gigantic apparatus of molestation. Molestation? That's a loaded word. Yeah. How do you mean it? Intrusive. Mm -hmm. Intrusive, the average person doesn't know how to resist mm -hmm. mental health help. Look how much of it is directed to the three helpless groups, children, old people, prisoners. Prisoners are full of psychiatric drugs now, <laughs> right? They go to jail for drugs. They go to jail for drugs, and then they get, they get go to jail for the drugs they like to take, and then they are, when they're in jail, they are forced to take the drugs they don't want to take. Mm -hmm. That in some ways characterizes the American drug scene today. The drugs people want to take are illegal, and the drugs they don't want to take, psychiatry forces on them. Mm -hmm. And the mental health profession does not complain about this. On the contrary, it supports this. Now, I know the people, that's Thomas Sazi. Uh, who is a psychiatrist and a professor of psychiatry at SUNY. He died a couple of years ago. That's an, obviously an older tape because it was pretty old when, I mean, East Berlin was still under communist rule. So we know it's, you know, predating 89. Anyway, so the point is, is that we are now at a stage where I've, I've noticed, and they're doing it in schools too. We're at a stage where the go-to problem solver is psychiatric drugs. And the reason that it, is becomes problematic is because just as we learned in COVID, it is not a one size fit all society that we have. And yet the government through its agencies, department of health and social services, think of how many people, the numbers are staggering. How many people are on meds, antidepressants, uppers, downers. I mean, in 1965, that's when the stones did what, you know, what a drag it is getting old. Ruby Tuesday, Mother's Little Helper. But look how, how much it's metastasized, and yet we're less happy today than you would think with all this medication being dispensed and all of the commercials and all of the money that's being made. I mean, it's in the tens of billions of dollars a year in drug treatments uh, that are being dispensed across the country for mental illness. But the mental illness never seems to to go away, does it? That's, that's something that we have to explore. And the reason I bring it up is because when you see people shooting sporadically every once in a while, you'll hear about a mass shooter. They always either are being treated for mental health or they have a history of mental health. And we know that the way that we treat mental health in our country is through drugs. So someone or people need to start asking the real tough question, which is how far do we go with this experiment? because it does not seem to be working, at least as far as I can tell. And we'll continue this discussion as we continue Speaking Out America in episodes ahead. Right now, we'll take a break. We'll be right back.
Well, I'm very excited about a couple of things. One is that Speaking Out America is growing, and you can hear us now on several different time slots on crntalk.com. Of course, check us out 5 to 6 p.m. Pacific, Monday through Friday, but now also noon to 1 p.m. Pacific, and then also a replay of of the morning after, so 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. So uh, continue to enjoy us on crntalk.com, and we thank Mike and all the team at CRN Talk. It's great to be a part of this team. And we're spreading our message far and wide. And also, we've added a Listen Live link. So not only do you have the podcast, which is available at speakingoutamerica.com, but you also can go to Spotify or iTunes or Google Play or any number of podcast platforms and just type in Speaking Out America podcast. That's it. The trick to finding any podcast is just to remember the name of the podcast and then type podcast when you do it in the search engine. So, because sometimes you're not going to find it right away. So, if you want to find our podcast anywhere, just go to Google search or Bing or uh, any, anything you want, any search engine, and type Speaking Out America podcast, and you will find our podcast. Or you can just go over to our website, which is speakingoutamerica.com. And not only can you listen live continuously, 24 hours a day, not that I would recommend that, but you can also just download your favorite episode. So, if you hear today's episode, and you want to share it with a friend, you can just go to our website, find the episode you want, and then forward it to a friend. Very simple. Uh, And uh, again, we were talking about the mental illness crisis in our country, and it is definitely twofold. But we also have another problem lurking, which I predicted that this might be the case. And we're going to shift now to talking about Ukraine. A couple of great articles, one written by Brandon Smith over the weekend, with the with the lead, the Club of Rome. How well this is on climate his, history. Where's the other? Where is the other one that I was just reading? Uh, was oh, here we go. Martin Armstrong: Why Ukraine Must Lose to Save the World, and it's written by Martin Armstrong via ArmstrongEconomics.com. Very smart guy. Very smart guy. And the question was asked, Mister Armstrong: I originally thought you were a Putin supporter, yet as time has gone. It is becoming very clear that you are correct and that Zelensky is waging this war for the West to conquer Russia. His meeting with the Pope and rejecting his offer to mediate clearly established he will not seek peace. Are we headed into a nuclear war? Did Ukraine really shoot down a Russian hypersonic missile? That was the question uh, posed to this man, Martin Armstrong, and here's what he wrote. And I won't read all of it, but I'll read the important key points because they are key points. And it's not what the media is. It's not the current media narrative. The current media narrative is that we're talking about a territorial dispute and that we are supporting Ukraine and all of NATO is supporting Ukraine because we're pushing back Russia, who is asserting itself and trying to take over a legitimate country. That's partially true. Absolutely. You know, there was, Russia did not have to invade Ukraine. However, there are mitigating circumstances that we are not being told about, which is in the heavily populated area of Donbass, uh, there is a heavy ethnic Russian uh, culture and society. So look at eastern uh, Ukraine as being traditionally more Russian than Ukraine. And these people apparently have been treated very poorly. And by a neo-Nazi type uh, of government 
that is literally torturing people because they don't like these people. And that's the part of the story that the West does a really good job of covering up. So that's the basic. And then also Crimea was the same way. And please don't misunderstand. I'm not like this guy. If you don't go in Ukraine 100%, somehow you're a Putin sympathist, sympathizer. And that's not the case. I mean, I just, I believe in knowing both sides of the story, really. Because only then can you, because uh, you got to figure out what, what is the motive? What is the motive here of people to determine what something is right or wrong? You just look at the motive. Do we really believe that Biden is just trying to tr uh, protect the territorial integrity of Ukraine? Is if territorial integrity is that important to President Biden, then why doesn't he care about America's territorial integrity? And the answer is he really doesn't. He has an ulterior motive. Uh, what that motive is, well, let's read this, this little article here and see what he has to say. This is Martin Armstrong. He says, there's a major problem with Ukraine's claim of shooting down a barrage of supersonic missiles, which, by the way, the United States provided. says, this cannot be confirmed independently, and Ukraine is notoriously always putting out fake news, typically to get more money. The incentive to create this type of fake news is that Western countries who have been supporting Ukraine are concerned that the military support for Kiev may soon peak as they run out of funds. There is concern that funds for Ukraine will be curtailed ahead of the 2024 presidential election here in the United States. And that was according to a recent report from the Financial Times. The neocons, Martin writes, are desperately trying to create World War III before the 2024 election. They are fighting against any cutbacks for Ukraine. This has highlighted that European officials are now increasingly concerned about the flow of aid next year as the U.S. enters a divisive presidential campaign. According to the Financial Times, Washington has been Kiev's major source of military aid. U.S. officials interviewed by the newspaper say the remaining funds pre-approved by Congress should sustain Ukraine for about five months. Western officials in regular contact with the U.S. over Ukraine told the Financial Times that Washington sees that period of time as the last real chance for Kiev to change the situation on the ground. There is a twist, however, that is the debt ceiling and funds would stop flowing after June 1st unless Biden yields on his insane agenda. Now just take a pause here, but think about that. We're all talking about the news and we're hearing about all these different social programs that may go away if the debt ceiling isn't signed in time. But have you heard anybody talk about the aid that would be cut off? And maybe that's why the Democrats are pushing so hard for it. And now continuing on with Martin's perspective, he says European official, a European official, told the Financial Times newspaper, quote, we can't keep the same level of assistance forever, end quote. Politico reported earlier that only $6 billion of the original $48 billion of military aid sent by the U.S. had previously, uh, this only $6 billion is left. Without congressional uh, approval, U.S. aid to Ukraine will be finished by midsummer. This claim of shooting down a supersonic missile just does not ring true, and it would be typical of Ukraine to boast in order to keep the money flowing. Ukraine's air defenses conveniently claimed that they shot down all 18 missiles and were destroyed by forces and means of air defense of the Air Force and the Armed Forces of Ukraine. And he writes, We must be cautious about claims during the war, for the first casualty is always the truth, especially when this claim comes at the precise moment when the funds may be ending in a few weeks. Now, there's much more to this. 
It talks about the different people in our government that are involved, neocons. For example, uh, Victoria Newland, who was a State Department attache, and she was involved in the Iraq War. She was heavily involved in the precipitation of the U.S. invasion of Iraq. She also has relatives in Ukraine. She, together with Jake Sullivan, who is the NSC for Biden, and you've got a few other neocons of the Dick Cheney era that are still there, uh, Samantha Power being one of them, they want this war to continue. They want it to be a distraction. They want to uh, give something to distract the American people from the fact that we are, in, a, in effect, fighting against Ukra- uh, Russia, but we're doing it with Ukraine's people. That's what we're doing. We're, we're killing Ukrainians to fight a war against Russia. It's like the best of both worlds. You can have a war and you don't sacrifice one single American citizen. How does that sit with you? We'll be back. Just as a footnote, I want to say one more comment about we were talking about Ukraine and Russia and America and the real fear that is permeating through many, many parts of the West and nothing to do with being anti-Ukraine or pro-Ukraine or pro-Russian or anti. It's just a matter of how far is Putin going to be pushed? And now with our decision to supply F-16 fighter training to Ukrainian army or military, that takes the stakes a little bit closer. And you have to remember now that the reason that the United States wants Ukraine is because of the real estate. We want our hegemony there. We want to eliminate, I mean, in the higher echelons, in the political circles, or the what they used to call the star chamber, uh, they want to eliminate Putin because Putin is anti-globalist. And that means that he's not for this great plan of Western hegemony completely dominating the world uh, and getting in cahoots with people like the World Economic Forum and the various groups that want to digitize currency and they want to regulate energy and they want to uh, basically be in charge of the entire population because they want to be in charge. And the American government wants to be at the, the head of the table. And this is what's behind their hegemony, because they want to assert themselves just the same as China. And if you were to ask me which side am I, I on, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously going to say America. But I don't think it's going to work to where you have just one global hegemony. I think that's the point, because you can't. You think Africans want to be subjugated to imperial rule again? I mean, didn't we just go through this whole period where the British had so much of the globe, and then you had the Dutch and the Spanish, and we went through 300 years of this assertion of nations and empires. And then we finally came to realize that people just want to be left alone. Governments don't need other governments to come in and tell them how to run their government. They're certainly not with persuasions of, of grandeur, which is what China's been doing now with their Belt and Road Initiative, and we did it during the 70s and 80s, where we would come in and say, let us build, you know, power plants and all these other, let's drill, drill, baby drill, and we'll give you a little cut. Uh, But by the way, the leader that you pick, we have to help you pick them, and we have to help you support them. You are not going to put somebody in who doesn't like America. And that's basically been our foreign policy now for 
probably post-World War II. You know, we, we, we want to run the world. We want the world to be our bank account. And if you believe in that and you believe that that idea has merit and it can be done, then go America. But I think we've learned now that that's just not possible. Nor is it right. We can have a great country without the rest of the world being involved one bit. We're almost completely self-sufficient. We could have our own society and not have any dealings with any other country. We have our own energy. We, well, we used to have our own educational system that pumped out very smart people. That's not there anymore. Now we're too concerned with social injustice and climate injustice and all this other nonsense. But if we end up getting right up to the precipice of World War III, you read back on some of the scenarios that could happen. Uh, and it doesn't take much to throw things out of whack. We already had one stroke with the COVID pandemic, and we're still feeling the effects of that pandemic and that the actions that we took then. And it, it ruined some economies, and it has increased poverty around the world. The COVID pandemic and the way that we reacted to it has most definitely impacted people. People have died, just like people are dying now with Ukraine. And we keep pumping in more you, you, you know, artillery and more resources, and we're just fueling the corruption. And most Americans aren't being told the truth about it, so we just go along thinking, oh, this is all about territorial integrity. But it ha happens to be about power, uh, hegemony, assertion, and eventually we're going to be so drained of our blood and treasure and our resources, similarly to the third dynasty of Egypt, when the entire country of Egypt, and Egypt was the America of 3000 B.C., they, uh, then at that point they were the it, they were the bomb, they, they had the best army, they had the best food, they had the best soldiers, they had the best architecture, they had everything going for them. But then they started spreading their resources a little too thin, and it drained them. And so we're doing the same thing now. We're taking what was a rich and powerful country, and we're just giving it away. We're throwing it away. We're spending it on things that, that don't make any quality of life. I mean, they might be pet projects that make people feel better about themselves, but all they're doing is making us more dependent on government programs is what they're doing. And so if we do push Putin into World War III and the nukes do start to fall, who are you going to blame? The MAGA Republicans? Is that the plan? Are you willing? Is this administration willing to take us to World War III just to make sure that Joe Biden stays in office? And what guarantee is that, that he will stay in office? If he continues behaving the way he is now, I don't see how in two, three years he's going to have much memory left at the rate he's going. Every time I see him, and every and I don't just watch, I don't even watch Fox News. I mean, I'm done with Fox News. But when I see him on Newsmax or if I see him somewhere on, on the Instagram or, or Twitter, he looks like he's getting more and more incapacitated. He's starting to look a little bit more like Dianne Feinstein, you know. And he's our leader right now. Did you see the other day he shushed somebody in Japan? A reporter interrupted him and he shush. That was funny. 
Uh, anyway, so that's where we're at now with Ukraine. I think it's important for us to recognize the reality is that this thing is not going to end. And when it does end, it's going to end up co costing the Ukrainians uh, damn well all of their civilization. And that that's how close we are. Uh, and this is all American. This is us. We could negotiate peace if we wanted to. But we don't want to negotiate peace. There's no money in peace. And Russia responded over the weekend saying, oh yeah, you think you're going to be able to give F-16 jets and training? And we're not going to see that as provocative? Meanwhile, Bakhmut fell. There was disagreement as to whether it did or not, but it's become quite, quite clear that the Russians have all but devastated Bakhmut and driven Ukraine out, killing 25,000 people to save. And it's an important artery city that sort of gives it a stranglehold on the east. So there's more uh, weaponry coming their way. I think over the weekend, Biden again said more money going to help Ukraine. And I think it's odd that when you try to have a conversation with somebody about it, it's closed subject. No questions asked. So another interesting thing that Taiwan got excluded from the World Health Organization annual assembly following Chinese opposition. This was over the weekend. Reuters reported that Taiwan failed on Monday in its efforts to gain an invitation to the World Health Organization's annual assembly despite the island's assertion that support was growing for its participation. The annual assembly in Geneva decided not to extend Taiwan an invitation to the event, which runs from May 21st through the 30th. China and Pakistan urged members to reject Taiwan's inclusion, while Eswatini and the Marshall Islands spoke in favor. China claims sovereignty over Taiwan and says the island is not a separate country, but part of one China governed by Beijing. China's insistence that Taiwan is not a country means that the island is expected and is excluded from many international organizations. Uh, and we haven't seen or heard a lot lately. I mean, I know that earlier in the spring we were hearing about fighter jets, and when we get Nan Su back on later this week, we'll talk to him about it and see what's going on. So there's more news uh, that's got under my skin from the weekend, but generally had a pretty good weekend. I'm very excited about our website, which also now has a live stream function, so you can listen while you're reading or doing or walking or getting your thousand steps in or whatever it is that you're doing and we're very excited about that so we're going to continue in just a moment go to our website which is speakingoutamerica.com and we'll be right back you're listening to speaking out america i'm jr stay tuned So while the press is uh, busy dogging DeSantis and Trump doing what they can to keep those two gentlemen from taking the White House back from <laughs> Joe Biden, uh, we should also talk about Tim Scott. Tim Scott from South Carolina has announced that he is going to be running for president. And now I think things are really going to start heating up for the Republicans because here you have a man. Uh, a lot of people in the country don't know about Tim. But he has an impeccable political career. He is very successful. He's very motivating. He's worked hard his whole life. He is exactly against the narrative that the Democrats have been pushing 
for the past 15 years, which is that uh, black America has suffered. They continue to be oppressed. They continue to be oppressed by law enforcement, by the systemic racist judicial system. And Tim Scott is exactly opposite of everything. And it's going to be hard to attack him. Let's listen a a little bit of his speech that he gave earlier uh, as he announced his plans to run for president in 2024. It is official. Tim Scott is running as a Republican. But unfortunately, under President Biden, our nation is retreating away from patriotism and faith. The fewest people in 30 years believe that their kids will be better off than their parents. And the radical left is pushing us into a culture of grievance instead of a culture of greatness. My mom worked 16 hour days as a nurse's aide, changing bedpans and rolling patients. It was hard work. It wasn't glamorous. But those 16 hour days put food on the table and kept the lights on. They empowered her to move her boys out of a place filled with pain into a home filled with love. My mom's work ethic taught me that there is dignity in all work. And that's why. And that's why I know if you are able-bodied, you work, period. Everybody should go to work if you can. My mom said to me, son, you can be a victim or we can be victors. She chose victorious. Uh, I'm so glad he's on our side. Boy, he's going to be hard. What's the media going to do? This is one of those things where they're kind of caught in their own trap because now officially you're not supposed to say anything whatsoever about anything negative if it comes to a person of color. And now they got to deal with this guy who, he, you know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of mentors that I've met in my life. Particularly, I, I remember I had a great physical ed teacher in the ninth grade who was an African-American. And man, he saved my life on so many occasions. He actually got me to want to get back into going to school and working hard. And because at that point I was surrounded, I was in a big city. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends. I was the only white kid in my school. It was not an easy time, but I had a fantastic phys ed coach. And then in high school, same thing. And all through my life, peppered with people in my career, people that I've known, uh, my kids growing up having mentors, not all black, not all African-American, but there is that spirit, uh, and, and it's infectious. And I could see him getting things done. You know, we talk all the time about what kind of leadership there should be in the White House. And Trump has certainly tried to fill that void by being somebody who can't be bought off. He can't be swayed. He doesn't owe anybody anything. And he's worked hard, although he did get, you know, a big boost. And it, it helps to come from a family of wealth. But there's no question in my mind that Trump earned a lot of his own success just like Tim Scott. Tim Scott, uh, rags to riches story. His parents were not the most, uh, you know, highly educated, but they worked and they put their kid through college and they worked hard to make sure that he had opportunity. And that is the American story. See, that has always been the American story. He even says as much. Because in this country, if you aspire and you put the time in, 
nobody can stop you, at least not legally. You, you are protected by discrimination laws. You're protected by the institutions of this country. And that message is not being heard now. That message is not being carried by uh, Biden or anybody in the Democratic Party. If you look at Maxine Waters or uh, who's the, Sheila Jackson, these people are trying to get an easy payoff on their ancestors' pain. Talking about retribution and getting what's owed to them. But that's not what you're hearing coming out of this man's mouth. No way. You can be bitter or you can be better. But you can't be both. You see, he chose patriotism over pity. He focused on the windshield of his life and not on the rearview mirror. And today, I'm living proof that America is the land of opportunity and not a land of oppression. Amen, 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 amen. So you see, this, this isn't just my story. It's all of our stories. The circumstances and the situations may be different. The details may change, but every single one of us are here because of the American journey, where there were obstacles that became opportunities, and our pain revealed our purpose. If you believe that, can somebody say amen? He's got an interesting story. Born in North Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, which is just outside of Charleston, and it's not a very uh, high uh, rent area. It's not where the wealthy people live in South Carolina. He says his mom worked a 16-hour day to keep food on the table. He got his first job changing oil at a gas station, and he says, I was 13, and I wouldn't have asked her for any other way. He says, I'm exploring a run for the president of the United States because I believe America can do for anyone what she has done for me. He's everything that we like in a good politician, regardless of his skin color. He speaks well, he's educated, he knows the value of hard work, he's had a business, he's not been in politics his entire life, he did not come from uh, a family of pedigree where he had the doors open to him. South Carolina is very, up till recently, very racially segregated, still is. Deep South, we haven't had a Southern president since Clinton, uh, and, uh, and this guy is not Cityfied, you know what I mean? In other words, he didn't grow up around a bunch of liberal professors that were filling his head with a bunch of garbage about, you know, Al Lewinsky or Al Lewinsky, the guy that, that uh, pretty much had Obama for, uh, he was the mentor of Obama as Hillary Clinton as well, which is very strange. And the left is going to have a hard time attacking him because if they attack him, they're going to look rude. I suppose they could try to dig up some dirt, but that would have already, he, he's already gone through the ringer. He wouldn't be a senator if that was the case. And I had a, a friend who has been in politics for a very long time. In fact, he's been on this program, an attorney by training, uh, Jan Gray, who has said, whose son, by the way, is the, uh, the state secretary of state for the wonderful state of Wyoming. He told me nine months ago, he said, I think Tim Scott could be the president. Tim Scott to be the president. Wouldn't that be something? But you can't deny that he has a command of the room. And he is not going to be messy. He's not going to tweet 
Not that I'm saying that, you know, Trump doesn't deserve a second shot. I'm just saying Americans don't want the drama. And the kind of drama they're going to get with Tim Scott is good drama, where you're going to see him face down his opponents, his political opponents. He's a smart guy. Listen to this again. But unfortunately, under President Biden, our nation is retreating away from patriotism and faith. The fewest people in 30 years believe that their kids will be better off than their parents. And the radical left is pushing us into a culture of grievance instead of a culture of greatness. My mom worked 16 hour days as a nurse's aide, changing bedpans and rolling patients. It was hard work. It wasn't glamorous. But those 16-hour days put food on the table and kept the lights on. They empowered her to move her boys out of a place filled with pain into a home filled with love. My mom's work ethic taught me that there is dignity in all work. And that's why... And that's why I know if you are able-bodied, you work, period. Everybody should go to work if you can. My mom said to me, son, you can be a victim or we can be victors. She chose victorious. Should mention, as mentioned, graduated from Charleston Southern University and eventually built his own successful small business. Uh, he has developed a mission statement to positively affect the lives of, of a billion people. And that is what led him to public service, where he was elected at Charleston County Council, the South Carolina House of Representatives, and then finally the United States House of Representatives and the United States Senate. He joined the Senate in 2013. Senator Scott has been a national leader on efforts to bring opportunity to every American family including his signature legislation creating Opportunity Zones, which was passed in part of 2017 as a tax reform package and has the potential to bring billions of dollars of private investment into distressed communities across the country. So he is a can-do guy. That's what he is. He's a, he's a can-do guy, and he's going to get there, and he's going to make things happen, and it's going to be tough to see how the left takes him on. Not tough. It'll be enjoyable. And what could he do? What could he, could he creep up on Donald Trump? That will be interesting to see. That's going to do it for the program. See you next time. Don't forget speakingoutamerica.com.